We are on number five in a series on the Holy Spirit. There'll probably be three more. I think Linda's going to do next week for us. Give you a break from my voice. Um, and, and before I start, I just want to point out this great hero of the faith. We were singing about the heroes that we would stand beside in that last verse of that song. And that's Gordon Fee, who went to be with King Jesus earlier this week. Um, you might never have read his books and you might never have heard his voice, but believe me, you have been influenced by him <laughs> because I have. Um, described as a scholar on fire. Here's, here's one of my favorite quotes from, I think, from, from uh, the big book on the Spirit, God's Empowering Presence. When we receive the Spirit at conversion, divine, divine perfection does not set in but divine infection does. We have been invaded by the living God himself in the person of his spirit, whose goal is to infect us thoroughly with God's own likeness. That man is probably one of the most important figures of the last 50 years in terms of getting Pentecostals to take their Bible more seriously and getting non-Pentecostals to be more open to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit really was a huge, huge figure. So spiritual gifts is where we're at. And last week we started off in 1 Corinthians 14 with this verse. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, what we did last week was a bit of an overview and an introduction to these gifts and made the argument that they should continue in the church today. And then we focused in uh, more specifically on prophecy. And I said last week that this week I wanted to get just more practical about how prophecy works, uh, how it happens in the church. So, so lots more stories this week for you. Hopefully those will, will, will help you out. And just some, I guess, hints on tips on how how I believe prophecy should, should operate in the local church. Paul mentions it an awful lot in his letters. He mentions it more than any other gift of the Spirit. And he makes the assumption, and the New Testament makes the assumption, that these things just happen in the church. That it is the norm for prophecy, for example, to be in action in the local church. And if it's not in action in the local church, then... That is abnormal. Something is missing. Something is wrong. A few verses from, from throughout the New Testament just to sort of back this up. So there's two verses from 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul outlines prophecy. And he says in verse 3, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I need all three of those things in large measure. Okay, so I want prophetic ministry in the church. And he says later on in the same chapter in verse 12, Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. That's why he emphasizes prophetic ministry. In Acts 21, we read about a guy called Philip who had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Just like that. Okay, that was... You know, just matter of fact. In 1 Corinthians 11, I always laugh when I read this chapter because there are people, particularly, you know, maybe in Northern Ireland, who make a big fuss about the ladies having to wear a hat. And 
and say, you know, that the, the women have to wear hats. They're not allowed to come into to the church unless they're wearing a hat. And I'm always like scratching my head thinking the context of that passage is about women praying and prophesying in the church. And usually the people that make the greatest fuss about the women having to cover their heads with something won't let them speak in church at all, pray or prophesy or do anything. They make them stay silent. So they use this verse to to justify the fact and say these women must have their heads covered, but they just completely ignore the fact that in the context, the verse is about women prophesying in the church, (laughs) participating fully in the life of the local church and in the gathered community. And it's a really interesting passage, 1 Corinthians 11, and you just can't understand it without going deep into the context and culture of the day. You really do have to look deep into it, and then it all becomes a lot clearer. But the point I'm making now is, Paul expected women in the church to pray and to prophesy. He said to the Thessalonians, don't quench the spirit, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Encourage prophecy, don't ignore it, don't push it into a corner. The Spirit, as we've said already, uses prophecy for three things that are mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 14. For strengthening, for encouraging, and a wee typo there, and comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now that's for God's people. When God's people are gathered together, the Spirit moves, someone speaks prophetically or multiple people, and that's the outcome for the believers. And it should happen, in my opinion, Every time we're together, it should not be a special occasion thing or a guest speaker thing. Every time we're together, it should happen. We come together to strengthen and to encourage and comfort one another. And it also applies to unbelievers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, if an unbeliever or an inquirer, somebody who's interested in Christianity, comes in, to the gathered community, all of this, all these chapters are in the, in the context of God's people gathered together. It's not people on their own individually. They come into the gathered community while everyone is prophesying. What will happen to those unbelievers is that they will be convicted of sin and brought under judgment as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. And the outcome is they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So prophecy is a gift that not only has a function for Christians to encourage them and build them up, but if a non-Christian is in the gathering and somebody prophesies and the heart of that person is just ripped open in, in the presence of God and in the presence of God's people in a good way, they will acknowledge the presence of God really there. And you maybe think to yourself, when anything I share is not really that important, or maybe I'm not qualified to share, or I'm not gifted, or whatever, you are, and there's a good chance that there may be somebody else in the gathering who is inquiring about Christianity, who has come along and just said, well, God, if you're real, you need to show yourself to me this morning. And what you share might just be what they want to hear, or what they need to hear, and could cause them to say, God's here. (laughs) This is real. So we must open our mouths and get over the fear of speaking out what God has put in our hearts. Who can do this? Who can do this? Is it just for a limited number? According to Acts 2, that great passage where we read about the Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon and he quotes from Joel in the Old Testament to explain what's going on. And he says, In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Those are other ways that prophetic can function. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. It's mentioned twice. It comes with the package. As the Holy Spirit is poured out, one of the evidences of that will be prophetic ministry. People speaking forth what God has put on their hearts. And 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is quite clear. He says, you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. He doesn't say all the people need to stay quiet and a couple of special ones get to speak. He says, you can all do it. All right, that is one of the, you know, Linda read about, about the, the, the kingdom of God's people, the royal priesthood, who we are. And, and in that, there is no hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. We're all priests. We're all able to hear God and able to, to go to God on behalf of others and to speak what God puts on our hearts to others. And if you are in a community of people that is receptive, this is so important. If there's a receptive atmosphere, if there's a, a group of people who are anticipating that the Spirit will move, then things can happen. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to, you know, that is a command of Paul in Scripture. It's a command of God through Paul. Do you obey it? Do you do I eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? Do we ask God for these things in prayer? Do we come to our gathering on a Sunday morning or on a Tuesday night? Because please do not limit the gifts of the Spirit to an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Like he can't do it on a Tuesday night in the prayer meeting or any time he wants. But do we come to those gatherings? Because when the community gets together and that temple is built and the Spirit of God is there, are we anticipating anything? Or are we just ticking a box? I'm going to church. It'll make me feel good for the rest of Sunday if I go to church. If I miss it, I'll feel a bit guilty. Or do we come anticipating the Spirit's going to move? I'm going to hear God. In fact, God might even give me something to share with my brothers and sisters. And in that atmosphere where people are, are hungry, it is just a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And some, some people may, may then prophesy more often than others. And in the New Testament, there are people who are referred to as prophets. Okay, so I believe anyone can do it, but I believe then there are also some people who do it more often than others and can be recognized as holding the office or the position of a prophet. Paul mentions those in Ephesians 4 verse 11. There's a variety of different forms that prophecy can happen in. So here I'll start to give you a few more examples and, and, and illustrations. Hosea chapter 12 verse 10. Hosea is a prophet. God says, I spoke to the prophet. I gave them many visions. One of the ways that prophecy will happen, I think most frequently, is by God dropping a picture into your mind. You don't actually see it in front of you. But in your mind, in your imagination, something comes to you that just was not there before and you believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is bringing that. This is what happens personally quite frequently if I'm praying with people. And if God's going to give me something to share with them, to encourage them, it is usually in the form of a picture. 
Uh, so much so that in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we read this. This is the king. I needed to go to the King James to get the word I wanted here. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer. Seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Now, what do you think a seer does? <laughs> a seer sees things. And, and, and Samuel writes here about how the, the, the old name for what we would call a prophet was a seer who sees things. I remember praying with a couple one time who were looking for a house. And as I prayed for them, I could see a tree. Now, I don't know what an elm tree looks like, but somehow, just in my mind, I thought, I see this tree, and for some reason I was thinking, it's an elm tree. And they were, they were looking for a house, and I said, listen, this is all I've got for you. I just want to tell you, I, I can see an elm tree. Now, they weren't, they weren't looking at a house on Elm Street, okay? Uh, but, but they said to me, I can't remember whether it wasn't, it was, it was elm something. They said, we, we've been looking at a house on elm, you know, closer avenue or whatever it was and I can remember sitting as well with a with a, a Brazilian girl in a meeting in Monaghan in oh maybe 15 years ago it was crossroads at, at Monaghan Elam church or associated with Monaghan Elam and this girl came for prayer afterwards and she and she was about to start chatting to me and telling me you know the things that she wanted me to pray for and I said just really respectfully I said listen we'll talk afterwards let's pray first because if you, you know, tell me all the stuff that's going on, then that'll affect my, you know, just how I'm thinking and how I'm going to pray. So I said, we'll, we'll talk after, we'll pray first. And I started to pray for her. And as soon as I started to pray, and some of you, if you've been around, I've told you this one before, I could see her in a park in a city on a sunny day. And I knew she was in a, in a hot climate. She was in, it was like a sort of, you know, these big cities, London has Hyde Park and New York has Central Park. And I said, I can see you in a park, but you're in a big city. And I, and, and I could see her with books. She was carrying big academic books. She had a pullover tied around her neck um, and a bag on her back. And the sun was shining down on her and she was smiling. She was obviously just really happy, really enjoying life. And I, and I shared all this with her and I said, this, this is what I see. And she said, I wanted you to pray with me because I'm trying to make a decision about whether or not I should go back to Brazil, to Rio, to study and go to university there. And, and, and that was it. I remember praying in, in a church one night and seeing uh, a picture in my mind of a ship on really, really stormy waters. Dark clouds, stormy waters, this big, big ship. And as, and as I was praying, the, the side of the ship opened up and lots of little ships come out. And that church has planted lots and lots of more, you know, more churches. I can remember praying on New Year's Eve with Gavin and Julie. It's Linda's sister and, and her husband. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I'd need to check the news to find out when exactly this was. But the kids had gone to bed. They were obviously a lot younger, and, and they, but that stage of the evening, they were in bed. We were praying at our kitchen table, the four of us. And you, you tend to pray big prayers on New Year's Eve sometimes and, and turn your, your thoughts to, to more global things. And I remember as we were praying, and I didn't share it, and I felt really dumb a few weeks later. But as we were praying, praying a picture came into my mind of pyramids on fire. And I thought, that's really weird. And I just said nothing and we prayed on and that was that. About two weeks later, Egypt just erupted in riots and Cairo, the streets of Cairo were literally burning. There were huge riots. It made the news every single night for about two or three weeks, these riots in Egypt on the streets and flames and fire everywhere. God shows us stuff. 
All right, if we, are, if we are willing to listen and willing to look, God shows us stuff. And often the Holy Spirit just puts words in your mouth as well. Maybe not a picture, but actual words. Frequently words of scripture. Jesus exemplifies this in Luke 4 when he comes to the, to the synagogue and he stands up to read. The scroll of Isaiah was given to him. He opens it up and he finds the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me and he reads it. He's taken scripture, written scripture, and he is reading it prophetically to the people who are there. I remember sitting at one stage uh, during a particularly difficult time in the still house in Moira, having dinner with a guy called Alan McWilliam, who runs Forge in Europe. And, and as I was chatting to him, he quoted something to me from 1 Corinthians 13, and it was just on the money. All he, does, all he did was quote a sentence. And I was just like, boom, <laughs> that's it. So sometimes it's, you know, God will give you something to share through, through a picture. Sometimes he'll just prompt you in the, in the gathered community to read a verse. And it's prophetic. It encourages somebody. It gives somebody clarity. Don't ignore it. And it's for edification. As we mentioned earlier, it is to build people up. You will never get a prophetic word that shames you, humiliates you, embarrasses you. There are times you have to hear words that are a wee bit more tricky. I remember one night going to the front of a meeting thinking I'm going to get a prophetic buzz here and somebody's going to say something real nice to me and I'm going to go home real happy. And the guy said to me, God wants more of you. God wants more of you. In other words, go home and sort of reflect on your devotional life, your prayer life, your, your time with God and address it. And, and that was a challenging word, but still it was ultimately designed to build up. And delivered in a way that built up, not in a way that makes you feel shamed and small. Sometimes we need prophets who will call people to account as well. In Amos, we went through some of the things that were going on before we did or at the start of the Rebuilder series. Amos calls out the wrong behavior of the nation. He's a prophet. He says in Amos 5, There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice. Amos calls out the leadership of the nation prophetically for how they are behaving. And I remember reading the front page of the Portadown Times just about two weeks ago and Chris Leach was speaking at a dinner in Craig Adams Civic Centre to mark the 10th anniversary of the food bank. And, and there was an article about what he said. And he spoke, I believe, as a prophet to that gathered people and called out our local councillors and politicians and leaders for not actually being in government, for thinking that 10 years of having a food bank with hundreds of thousands of meals given out was actually something to celebrate. And, and his words were really strong. And I thought, fair play to you, mate. You have spoken as a prophet and you have called people to account. So sometimes it is also a challenging word. God's people need, need vision. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, in various different versions says, where there is no vision or no revelation, the people perish. If there's no one who is seeing what God is doing, if there's no prophetic revelation, the people dry up. I think Eugene Peterson puts it well in the message. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. 
and in the leadership of the church, Paul says there have got to be a variety of different people. And this is another message all on its own, but he, he lists five in Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In Forge and in the work of Alan Hirsch, who led Forge, we change that slightly and we talk a lot about apest. We change pastors to shepherds because that's what the word means. And use A-P-E-S-T to, to sort of abbreviate or, or, or a shortened version of, of what this is. But the problem is in the church in the West, we expect the shepherds or the pastors to do everything. And you get these guys who are just half killed because they have a, a group of maybe one or 200 people expecting them to do everything in the church. And it is unbiblical. Paul says there's got to be lots of different ministries and He talks about apostles. Those are the people who are sent to pioneer new things, the missionaries, whether it's in this nation or a different nation. The prophets, as we're speaking about, the evangelists who have a heart for the lost, the shepherds who care for the local community, the teachers who open God's word and explain it to people. We've got to have all of that if we're going to have a healthy, functioning church. And there are different times when different people take the lead. Linda saw geese yesterday flying over the house and got very excited about it. But geese fly in like a V formation if there's enough of them. But one of the guys in Forge, as he was teaching this to us one time, he said that you know different geese will take turns to take the lead in that V shape, and and you know the, the one will will move round and another one will go forward and take its place. And he said in the church there are times when the church needs to be driven. It's in a season where it needs to be driven by teaching. But there are other times it needs to be driven by apostles who will say, right, teacher, we've heard loads of teaching. We need to get out and do something. Or it'll be driven by prophets who will come and say, listen, I really believe God has put something on my heart for the direction of the church. So we need all of these different gifts and ministries functioning together. Prophecy is useful in discouragement. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Recall the prophetic words that have been spoken over your life in order to help you to keep fighting the battle well. Do you have a book? (laughs) Do you have a journal? Do you have somewhere where you write stuff down? sitting with a bunch of sixth formers the other day and they're all sitting looking at me as I was going on about chemistry and, and I was sort of writing on my iPad and it was all appearing on the screen and they were, all, they were all attentive. They were all looking at me and they are all listening and I said to them, do you think you're going to remember any of this if you don't write it down? <laughs> Sometimes we, we go and somebody delivers a prophetic word to us and it's really encouraging and we're excited about it and we drive home and, and then it fades and three or four days later just like, I can't really remember what that was. It was just a wee buzz. It was just a wee 30-second hit at the end of a meeting. Write it down because you never know when the battle gets hard and you need something you can go back and look at. I have a file on the computer of prophetic words that have been spoken over us. I have a book at home and a journal at home where I write things down and date them and who it was that said it and where it was. And I have gone back many times to look at it. And it has helped me to fight the battle well. You need this when you're discouraged. Prophecy also releases gifting. Um, Paul says still in 1 Timothy 4.14, don't neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy. 
So you, the scenario of Timothy and the elders of the church gathered around him and praying for him and somebody speaks prophetically to him and it releases a gift within Timothy. I can remember again, there's a lot of I can remembers this morning, but I can remember in late 2003, being at a house meeting somewhere out near Rich Hill and there was a guy there from South Africa called Brian Colby. Do you remember this? And... Uh, he, he prophesied to us about Rach and told us that she, that she would be a crown to us. That was the word he used. And he came and he prophesied to me and he opened up his Bible and he stood in front of me. And this, this is a long time ago. And I had never preached, I don't think, at that stage. But he opened up the Bible to me and he said, he said, I can see you standing with the Bible open, teaching it to people, one, two, three. And that's exactly what he did. He said, one, two, three, and tapped the Bible three times. He said, I can see you teaching. You know, those things can release a gifting, can stir up a gifting within you. We need prophetic ministry. Now, Paul writes, and I want to read a passage here at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. And as we just work through this passage and look at some really practical things about how it should function. Let me read from from 26 in 1 Corinthians 14. When you come together, gathered community. Each one of you has a hymn. Each one of you, by the way, everyone, everyone. (laughs) Each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done again so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. Now we'll get to this in a week or two. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. There should be no uninterpreted tongues in the gathered community because people can't understand it. It causes confusion. That's Paul's word. Now the prophets, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be encouraged or instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Verse 39, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, a fitting and orderly way. There have to be safeguards put in place to protect people when it comes to prophetic ministry. You cannot have some sort of loose cannon just rolling about the church, shooting out prophetic words left, right and center into people's lives. There has got to be a fitting and orderly way. And I believe that if, if you have something that you want to share with a specific individual in the church, and you know exactly who you want to share it with, when you're sharing that, you should ask a member of the leadership to be present. That is not control. That is accountability. That is also safeguarding people so that somebody can't come in from the outside and after a few weeks start just randomly saying things here, there, and everywhere to half a dozen different people whose lives are maybe already upside down, who maybe carry a lot of pain, and then somebody comes in and they're just boom, 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 reckless all over the place. So for accountability, there has to be that, just bring somebody else with you. 
you know, I want to pray for you. I believe I've got, something, I've got something I'd like to share for you. Linda, would you come with us? You know, Ashley, would you come with us? Steph, would you come with Daniel, would you come with us and just, just, just join us in praying for this person? I want to share this with them. It's not good to just blow into town and fire out a few prophetic words and then blow out again. A prophet puts his money where his mouth is. A prophet hangs around. Haggai, as we know over and over again from Ezra 5, the prophets were with the people. Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the people and stuck around and helped the building. They didn't just come in, say a few things, and then vanish. They were held accountable to what they had said. There's timing to be thought of when it comes to delivering something prophetic. I can remember in a different church, chewing over a picture that God was giving me for about four weeks before I shared it. Really clear picture, and I knew it was for somebody in the gathering, but I didn't know who. And I just prayed about it each week for about four weeks, and then I knew one Sunday morning, this is who it's for. And I, and I went, it was for, for a girl, I went and I got her husband and I got the pastor. I said to both, it was during the worship, I said to both of them, I've got something I feel I'd like to share with, with this person. Can both of you come and join me as I, as I do that? I wanted to be accountable, responsible about what I was sharing. So there's timing sometimes involved in giving a prophetic word. Sometimes you just sit on something and you wait. It's an act of faith. Whenever you prophesy, Romans 12, 7, Paul says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. To, to prophesy is to step out in faith. It's to step out. And I find one of the ways that that functions for me is I will frequently have a picture when I'm praying with somebody. I will not have a clue what it means until I start speaking. In my head, I want to be all organized and think, right, here's what I see, and it means this, 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 and this. God bless you. Have a good day. Whereas I find as I'm sitting with them, I see the picture, and I haven't a clue what to say. And it's only when I start to share it that then the, the picture starts to make sense. So this happened a couple of weeks ago in the prayer room. We're praying with somebody here. And, uh, and as I prayed with her, brought Linda with me, brought Ashley with me, wanted to be accountable, and as, as we prayed, as I prayed, this is what I saw, right? So this is a guy doing Morse code on a, on a keyer. I called it a clicker, but I think it's meant to be a keyer. Um, and, and as we're sitting there, that was in my mind. I had no clue what it meant. And it was only when I started to speak out and say, I can see somebody doing Morse code, that it started to become clear. And, and as I said a sentence, another sentence came to mind. And I said, I believe God is, is tapping out messages on you. And the whole thing about Morse code is you don't use it for big, long, complicated messages. You use it for something that's really quite short and simple and really important. And I believe God is saying to you that he's going to give you messages for people to encourage them. And you will maybe think this is really simple, but it'll actually be really, really important. And, and that was the picture of the Morse code. Now, that explanation did not come until I had started to speak, until I'd made the step of faith of actually, this is what I see. And then suddenly I thought, ah, this is what, this is what. And it all starts coming together. And it turned out that the, the, the person involved had had a, a, I don't know whether it was a dream or something else that somebody had spoken to them a week or two previously where God was tapping on their head or on their ear. I can't remember exactly. The point is, it's an act of faith. You start to speak and then more comes. 
Prophecy involves discernment. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we have to test prophecy. We have to test it. And the reason we have to test it is because we're not perfect. 1 Corinthians 13.9 says we prophesy in part. Not perfectly, not completely. What God shares with us is perfect, but then it goes through a human vessel and it can get tainted and it can get distorted. It, it is not perfect. So it has to be discerned. It has to be tested. And where this happens is in the gathered community. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak. The others should weigh carefully what is said or discern what is said. Again, it happens in community. You don't sneak somebody off to a wee dark corner and says, I believe God is saying to you this, this, and this. And then that's not how it happens. It happens in community. So other people can discern and weigh up what has been said. And that is not, you know, when it says weigh carefully what is said, that does not mean decide what is true and what is false. It can. But I think in a more positive light, what is true and how do we respond to it? That that is sometimes what what means by weighing carefully what is said. How do we actually respond to what has been said here? So there's that importance of of discerning or testing a prophetic word. What about the character of the person prophesying? The character. Would you let a person prophesy over you if you were aware that they didn't really walk with God that closely? Would you? (laughs) If somebody wasn't soaked in God's word, would you let them prophesy over you? What about their language? What, what about you know, how they use their, their tongue and their speech the rest of the week? If they put people down and speak badly of people, are you going to let them speak a word into your life? How do they conduct their business and their work? How do they treat their family? If they're married, how do they treat their spouse? You know, If you can't speak well of your spouse, don't, don't presume <laughs> to come speaking a prophetic word to me. I won't listen. In Nehemiah 6, a prophet, Nehemiah encounters a prophet called Shemaiah. And Nehemiah says, I realized that God had not sent him. (laughs) Not sent him. I remember March 2019. I won't forget it quickly, I don't think. But I was given a prophetic word out in that car park. And I rejected every single word and syllable (laughs) that was in it completely and utterly totally rejected it god had not sent him (laughs) i was going through hell and it was almost like a demon to make it worse and i rejected every word as an overflow from a toxic angry heart i threw it out and i did not accept it just saying thus saith the lord does not give something more authority does not make it true, does not make it right. And in fact, we'll not go to it this morning, but Deuteronomy 18, at the end of Deuteronomy 18, there's some very, very strong words for people who claim to come speaking a word from God whenever all they're doing is pushing their own agenda and their own opinion. Prophecy should be recorded, voice recorded. I told you last week, get your phone out, put on the voice record app and record it. Ask the person's permission, like, but, you know, record it. Write it down in the journal. Hold people to account. Create an atmosphere where, where, where it is easy to prophesy. I want to have an atmosphere in here where it's easy, but it's also taken really seriously. 
that, that, that we can't just shoot out anything without prayerfully giving it consideration. Because do you know what? If we don't protect the community, if there's not accountability, if there's not oversight and leadership and governance, spiritual abuse can set in. Where, where people can come along like this dude in Nehemiah and can pretend that they're bringing something from God, something from the Holy Spirit, but they're not. They're just pushing their own influence. We have to respond to the, to the prophetic word. Linda and I were at the Tabar gathering a few weeks ago and we, we were blessed. We got lengthy prayer from several people. It was class, loads and loads of stuff. And it was like straight home, everything goes on hold, get the coffee pot on and sit down with a notebook and start writing this stuff down. And not only writing it down, but our heart was very much, how do we need to respond to what has been said to us? It was really encouraging stuff. It was really important stuff. But, but the bulk of our discussion that Saturday afternoon was, what do we need to change in response to this? You see, if you don't respond to a prophetic word, you're not going to get another one. <laughs> no. There's no point in saying, God, I'd love you to speak to me. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is saying, I did speak to you, mate, about three months ago, and you've done nothing. We have to respond to, to what God says to us. This is the only thing in Scripture that you're allowed to covet. If you read the old King James Version of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, covet that you may prophesy. Covet it. Desire it. It's to be, according to, to, to that last verse or second last verse of 1 Corinthians 14, we're to be eager for it. The Greek word for, in case you thought you're going to get away, away without a wee bit of Greek this morning, we're nearly done and we're finishing with Greek. The Greek word is zelu, zelu, from which we, get, we would get the word zeal or to be zealous about something. And there's a negative use of it. It can mean to burn with envy, anger, and passion. So it's a word that can be used for strong negative emotions to do with envy. But positively, it can mean to earnestly desire something and exert yourself in striving after it. Have you exerted yourself in striving after the ability to prophesy? Have you ever asked God for it? Have you ever fasted and prayed and said, God, please, I want to be able to build up your church. I want to bless people and strengthen them and edify them. Please allow this to flow in me. Please. Do you earnestly desire it? To be used in prophetic ministry, I would say there are three things that you need to do. You need to ask. Prayer, very simple. Ask God. You need to read. If, if I want to communicate on God's behalf to people, then I should get really, really familiar with how God speaks. So I should be devouring this book. And as I read it, it's almost like some of you, or most of you probably are too young to remember, radios in the car that you had to turn a wee knob and try to get the frequency. And this wee line would move across and you would, you would try to pick up whatever you wanted to listen to. As I'm reading, I, I, I'm getting tuned into God's frequency. And the more I'm exposed to his, his word, his voice through his word, the more I will recognize his voice and be able to share with other people what he's saying. But that's my responsibility. I need to ask. I need to read. And then I need to listen. See, as we stand up to worship this morning, listen. Make a conscious decision within yourself. I'm not just here to hear a sermon, sing a few songs, and go home and feel good that I went to church. I am standing up and I am anticipating, Holy Spirit, you could speak to me now. You could speak to me.
and I could share what you say and someone could be encouraged. So that's prophecy. We will also deal with, with the gift of tongues in a couple of weeks' time. But I'd love to see this more in the church. I'd love to see it more. Every time we're together, even on Tuesday nights, sometimes lovely on Tuesday night, you've been praying for somebody, and as you're praying for them, God just shows you something, and your prayer for them becomes a prophetic word to them, which becomes an encouragement to them. Let's yearn for this, church. Let's obey Paul when he says, eagerly desire, because some people need encouraged. Right? And as we create a space this morning in worship, let's see if we can get some mutual encouragement going on.